Melt presents The Struggle is Real, where champions from the business of sports and entertainment today lay the foundation for the future changemakers of tomorrow. Welcome to The Struggle is Real, presented by Melt. I'm your host, Adam Schick. In our final installment of this series, it's time to take things to the highest levels. Instead of focusing on high school or college sports, we're talking about the professional ranks with Memphis Grizzlies Senior Director for Development, Caleb Swan, and PGA Tour Sales Representative, Joe Norton. Then, instead of hearing from current interns in our final Melt You Roundtable, we'll hear from two graduates of the program who made the jump to full-time employees at the agency. Let's not waste any time and get started by talking about one of the hottest leagues in the world. The NBA has seen tremendous growth in recent years and is making huge inroads with millennials and fans they need for the future. After a long run with Auburn, Caleb Swan recently joined the partnership marketing team with the Memphis Grizzlies and is focused on harnessing that branding power for their corporate clients. Melt's Director of Public Relations and Community Affairs, Mark Harmon, and I sat down with Caleb to discuss his role in Memphis and the differences between working in college and the pros. And he began by explaining how his time as an athlete pushed him into sports marketing. I played baseball my whole life uh, competitively till I was about 21. And so, um, you know, I kind of wanted to find something to fill that void when I got done playing. Uh, so when I went to Auburn uh, after playing a couple years at a smaller school, um, you know, I really wanted something to kind of channel that energy. And so, you know, I got into the ranks there, uh, started, I, I just did whatever I could. I found whoever I could that was involved, other interns. Hey, how'd you get this job? How did you work with athletics? What did you do? Um, they kind of worked me through some of that. Um, got connected with uh, the folks that I ended up working with, which are still actually good friends of mine today. Um, and so, you know, really tried to get in and just prove my worth, uh, you know, kind of took that, you know, former athlete mentality of, you know, attacking every single day, trying to get better at this, you know, this skill that is working in the sports industry. And so, uh, you know, kind of walk through all of that with the internships, I graduate, I've got job opportunities on the table, trying and trying to get jobs, you know, talked with Under Armour in Georgia and Florida and some of these different schools. And it was just no, 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 no. Um, and then finally, you know, get this opportunity uh, to go work at Samford University. It was the best decision I ever made, uh, you know, going, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the smaller schools, you know, oh, you need to shoot for big schools. You need to try to be big, stay big. And, you know, I, I don't agree with that at all because what I learned at Sanford um, was fantastic. I had great people around me that really kind of showed me uh, what it looked like to be successful and, and, you know, had the opportunity to work there for not a whole lot of money, but that's what internships are. Um, and so, you know, I lived with family. I ate what I could uh, from the Dollar Tree or whatever it was just to get by. And um, I think it made me who I am. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough that my wife uh, at the time was my fiance, but my wife went through that entire journey with me. Um, and her support was huge uh, to make sure that, you know, I stayed I stayed the course and continue to work hard and, and put in the hours and put in the time to, to get to where I am now. From Sanford, you go to Southern Miss, and then you take a turn to go into the professional ranks. You go to the Atlanta Motor Speedway, mm -hmm. and you talk about sports marketing, you think NASCAR, because Absolutely. you can't do an interview with those guys without 15 sponsors <laughs> rolling off their lips. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, the, the time in NASCAR was, was eye-opening. Uh, from, from my first day there, uh, worked with, you know, 
one of a couple of my great mentors that, uh, you know, have moved on and done other things in the industry now, but we stay in great contact. And um, what I learned there was really how to leverage that business for your partner uh, to really drive return, because that's what it's all about. It's how do we take our brand that our fans and, and people are so passionate about and how do we go find a corporation and kind of reflect that passion onto their brand. Um, and NASCAR really, I mean, it's, you know, they, they're one of the best, um, always have been for doing that. And so the opportunity that I had at NASCAR to kind of learn about the best ways to do that and to leverage it uh, was huge for my career moving forward um, from, you know, a standpoint of, you know, really trying to find that multifaceted marketing solution that is going to drive return and to create a partner, not just for three years, but for 10 to 15 to 20 years uh, that want to stay connected with, with our brand that we were, um, that we were promoting. From there, you went back to Auburn, where you obviously started as a student and worked a little bit while you were there. Right. And then recently, maybe even when this uh, this was booked, you were still there, but now you're with the, the Memphis Grizzlies. So right. someone asked a question in the room, which I thought was interesting. What's been the biggest difference in, in your limited time there so far between partnership marketing on the college side and then at the NBA level? Another great question. So there's a couple different ways to really look at it. So the college landscape... Um, the passion for college is is, is really second to none uh, mm-hmm. from the time that I've got to, to spend in there uh, because of the fact that the great thing about college is is you're you're permanently tied to that brand because it's a piece of you. Um, so college has a very unique space um, to really try to engage partners and brands uh, because of that fan loyalty that you have, um, which is which is great. Um, you know, you're working a lot of uh, third party multimedia rights holders. They've got great relationships with the universities, spend a lot of time making sure that they are getting the schools what they need from that relationship. Um, the pro level is is a different angle. A lot of times, especially when we talk about the NBA, um, you know, you have a certain marketing area that you're working inside with an NBA team. Um, of course, you know, with social media and now the coverage of the NBA as a whole, as it goes, you know, not just nationally, but internationally, where people are watching uh, games from all 30 teams, the ability to do that and the ease now of being able to get these teams, uh, getting exposure to these teams. Um, it's just, a, it's a different feel because everyone's tied in the same exact way on the pro side. Mm-hmm. So, you're really looking at it from a partnership of how to help the bottom line of the entire organization, because that's the reason why a partnership marketing team exists to start with is to try to help drive revenue for the team to offset expenses and to offset some of the things that you have to do so that you can make sure to increase the fan experience for the fans and make sure that they're getting the experience with the team that they want. So, um, you know, both are fantastic. I I love working in college. I I love working in the NBA, uh, working in the pro model. It's all been great. Everyone just has their difference pluses and difference in pluses and minuses of what you actually get from the both of them. With the Memphis Grizzlies, I thought it was interesting. You talked about the developmental side and also the activation side and how those two departments kind of come together to get the deal done. With that, with the pro team, and every pro team is different. So different teams have different ways that they do it. But one of the things that really intrigued me and enticed me to come into Memphis in the situation that we had was the relationship between the development and activation staff and how um, early in the process of talking with a partner and starting to try to cultivate that relationship with a prospective partner um, is that you are involving a lot more people from your organization uh, to be part of those conversations. So, um, you know, there's a very holistic approach approach um, that I found very appealing that I feel is going to help deliver, uh, deliver return for our partners. 
And there's a party going on next door here at the Melt offices right now. That's probably the music you're hearing. Uh, and there's a lot of music and a lot of excitement going on in Memphis as we transition. That's what we do here. We connect things together. Uh, Memphis is next door, right next to Beale Street. Right. So Memphis is interesting because it's a great city. It's a vibrant city. of a lot of family there. But it's also considered one of the smaller markets. Mm-hmm. And as such, you're the only game in town. Right. I would think that that's only an advantage, but maybe maybe it's not. Can you kind of talk through the advantages, disadvantages of being the only pro game in town? Yeah, sure. So one of the great things about Memphis is when you drive around town, it's, you know, it's grit and grind. It's Bill Street blue. Everything's in Bill Street blue with grizzly heads everywhere. People are wearing their grizzlies gear to the grocery store. Uh, very similar to kind of the atmosphere that I had when working in college sports, when going mm-hmm. around a college town. I mean, you're just covered up with your team colors at all the time. Um, so I thought that was really interesting with, with the grizzlies, um, very appealing with the fan base and the passion that, that comes from them uh, when you're, when you're in that area. I guess when you talk about a market, I mean, of course, what we do is we're selling, we're putting brands in front of our fan base. And so if you have a smaller market team, you don't have as big of a fan base. It's a smaller following. So um, if you want to try to find some negatives there, I guess the eyeballs are a little bit lower um, than what you would be talking about, say, if you're the LA Lakers and Mm -hmm. and then the second largest market in the country. Um, So you do have more eyeballs, but I think we have a, a unique advantage in Memphis because we have such a passionate and, and kind of get more of the avid fan in Memphis that's following kind of every move that we make as opposed to a casual fan that might be based in a, in a major market city. At Melt University, we have 34 hungry young sports marketers, <laughs> and you gave them a lot of good, solid advice about how to get that first job and really how to challenge themselves. I think it's huge. It's, that's always the dividing kind of piece with with this part of the business, especially when we're looking at internships. I mean, when we were working, uh, you know, in the college space, we would always have, you know, 10, 15 interns or so a year uh, that work with us. Um, you know, we always took a lot of pride in, you know, one or two of those actually being able to move on every year to get a job in the industry. So it's a highly, highly competitive field that everybody wants to be a part of. And so what I really wanted to challenge these interns in this group who's already off to a great start and being part of the melt U program, which I think is a phenomenal program that, you know, melt Atlanta has done a great job in putting together this opportunity for these kids to come in for the summer and really learn uh, from real life experiences and not just have them sit behind keyboards trying to fill up, you know, whatever it is, the to-do list for the day. And so I really wanted to challenge them to continue to push forward and to do something that makes them different. How are they going to stand out? Because that's how you're going to have success in the highly competitive landscape of trying to get that entry-level job in the sports field. The NBA is so hot right now. Everybody knows that who follows the industry. The NBA has always had stars. That's always been a factor. Why now is the NBA reaching such an inflection point worldwide? That's a fantastic question. So I think as a whole, the league has done a great job of – adapting and adjusting to new social norms and what is becoming, you know, the multi-screen watching and the way to engage, you know, millennials. And everyone talks about how do we get their attention? Millennials are very passionate and, and very adamant buyers to certain brands. It's just, it's hard to get in front of them. Um, and so I think what's great about the NBA is as you look at our numbers, we're actually ticking up as far as um, those that are watching uh, watching our games, you know, league wide. Um, and then when you look internationally, I think just the game itself just resonates strongly internationally. Um, you know, we've got players that are coming from all over the world that are coming to the best basketball league uh, and the best competition that there is here in the United States and the NBA. 
NBA. And so I think that there's a lot of advantage there as the world continues to kind of shrink, as I guess you could say. I mean, the, the ease of of getting access to our games. Uh, if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, fan living in India, you can get access to our games. And so that wasn't possible, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So I think that I think with the way that technology is spreading um, and, and just the scope is getting so much smaller in the world that we live in, that, that that's been a big advantage for us uh, from the NBA standpoint. Another thing that you were talking about is not just the NBA team, but the Memphis Grizzlies have several things going around in its orbit. Talk about those other areas. Yeah, so we're really excited uh, with the Grizzlies on our ability to uh, bring multiple platforms now into what we offer our fans. And so, you know, we've got everything from, of course, the our Memphis Grizzlies basketball organization um, that everyone knows about. Um, but we also were one of the first uh, inaugural teams in the new NBA 2K League, which is the eSports Basketball League that the NBA has created. Uh, so we're one of the 17 teams that jumped, you know, feet first into this league. And, um, you know, we're really pushing content and, and really exciting storytelling. You've got these six players that have come from all over. Over the place. Uh, one of them was a grave digger, uh, which is pretty incredible. Um, he was a digging. Monster truck driver. No, like literally digger. digging <laughs> graves. Yeah, literally digging graves. Wow. And um, you know, just so many great stories that can come from these gamers. Um, and then the esports is just exploding. So we're excited to have a piece in that, a part of it. Um, you know, ownership has really dove in hard going into making sure that they give everything support wise to the league that we can. Uh, and then of course we've got our G league team, which is just down the road uh, in South Haven, Mississippi, which is just right across the state line. So it gives us uh, really nice access for kind of our feeder system. If when you have a two way player, um, they're just down the road as opposed to having to travel a long ways. And it also helps us in the market from the sponsorship side that we have um, two entities right there on the basketball side, right next door to each other. Um, and then we also have our Grind City Media Group that our team, uh, ownership team, has really put a lot of focus into, once again, going back to that story of driving content. I think it kind of goes back to that, you know, that small market chip on our shoulder, grit and grind. That's where one of our advantages is, is our fans are, are wanting to know what we're doing every day. So, you know, they thought really far outside the box to create this media team in-house that doesn't always spin everything positive either. I mean, they, they tell it like it is. They want, you know, we want our listeners to know that this is real. This is, this is organic conversation and it's not propaganda that's just being pushed <laughs> through because we own it. It's, you know, it's a real conversation about our teams, about our city. And, um, I think it just continues to push that whole grit and grind philosophy that, that we have in Memphis. If there's a lot of people consuming NBA content in India, like you said, is, mm-hmm. is the thing happening now. Mm-hmm. How do you translate that in Memphis from an economic standpoint? So how do you take what's happening worldwide and make it work for you and your team in Memphis? Sure. So that one may be a little bit over my head, <laughs> that question. <laughs> um, but I know, obviously, when you talk about a brand, the further the reach that we have, the more attractive we are, not just to our partners, but to our fans as well. I mean, if our fans that are in Memphis know that there are people in China and people in Japan that are watching our games and paying attention to what we do, that camaraderie and that brotherhood of, of Memphis Grizzlies fans is now not just in Memphis in your backyard, but it's and not just regionally in the mm-hmm. Mid-South, but it's also nationally and internationally because of the way that our games are, are being broadcast and carried because of how great, the job, uh, great of a job the league has done to make sure that our brand continues to grow. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah. we know the NBA is growing, so we're really happy to be able to talk to you about it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast as always. No matter what product you're selling, rejection is constant, and it can be easy to get discouraged. 
As a young sales representative for the PGA Tour, Joe Norton has already experienced some incredible highs and lows that naturally come with the territory. Mark and I spoke to Norton about working with the Tour Championship and thriving in sales, and he began by describing his early struggle as working at PGA Tour headquarters in Florida. Yeah, so my first, you know, probably five months of my career, I was, I was definitely struggling a lot um, in terms of just results. Um, so I really was, I felt like I was putting the time in. I felt like I was doing the right things, but I wasn't seeing the return on all that. And I kind of decided, like, I need to change something here. Something needs to happen. So um, as I kind of mentioned, one of the things I really want to focus on was developing good habits for myself. So it was as simple as developing a good morning routine. I felt like that was essential for me to felt like I checked off a few wins before I started my day um, and going into my workday with a great mindset. And then from there, I just felt like I needed to let myself go a little bit and take some of the pressure off myself because I knew I was doing all the right things, but I needed to just relax a little bit and let things happen more. And once I kind of developed that foundation with combined with really letting myself go, that's when I started to see results. And that's when my kind of career almost, not career took off, but I really started to see the, the return on all my time that I put in. So Now you're 23 out of Villanova. Talk a little about some of the internships that you had prior to working for the PGA Tour. Yeah, so working for the Philadelphia 76ers uh, during the uh, kind of trust the process uh, <laughs> era, which was, which was cool to see because when I was with the Sixers, the year I was there, they only had 10 wins. So I learned a lot about, you know, branding yourself and trying to, to market yourself with not the greatest product just yet. Um, but it, it was really interesting to see kind of what went into all that for when they knew they would be really good in 2017, 2018. So you learn how to not work with a lot. You learn how to market yourself even when things aren't going well, which I thought was really valuable for me and knowing that if you literally trust what you're doing, things will things will come out in the end. So that was really cool for me to, to see. And talk about one of your roles there as an intern mm-hmm. for the 76ers. You were dealing with heads of corporations, mm-hmm. you know, in a really good way. Yeah, yeah. So when I was there, I was um, I did a lot of kind of different jobs while I was working for the 76ers. But yeah, as you mentioned, one of the cooler things I got to do was interact with, you know, some of the higher ups of some of these partners and sponsors of the 76ers. And it was as simple as, you know, bringing them to their courtside seats during the game and showing them around the locker room. Um, taking them around some of the hospitality levels of the arena, but just getting to spend time with people like that and being able to kind of pick their brain and, and introduce myself and just made myself more comfortable dealing with, you know, older people, people that were higher up at companies. So I felt like that was huge for me going into my career already kind, kind of being comfortable um, around those sorts of folks. Before this gets too much like a Christopher Nolan movie and confuses people, tell us what you do with the PGA Tour and, and specifically what your purview is. Yeah, so what I do, I work specifically for the Tour Championship. So I'm a sales representative for our tournament here at Eastlake Golf Club. And um, again, like I mentioned, we, we have the top 30 players in the world come to our tournament every year. So my role specifically being a sales representative is I try to help businesses grow their own business by utilizing the tour championships platform. So whether that's bringing out some of their top clients in a corporate hospitality, using our branding opportunities throughout the course, I try to help businesses um, market themselves and build relationships with their top clients and employees. Um, and then from that, we our goal is to build the Eastlake community. So everything we do goes back into that Eastlake foundation and that community. So we're really trying to kind of revitalize that community, even though it already has been a lot, but we're trying to even more so uh, build up that community there. You know, the PGA Tour, you know, as a business, that's one of the great things about it is not only do they run all these tournaments, but they also give back to each and every community 
that they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, a thing that I feel like a lot of people don't know about the PGA Tour is that we are we're a nonprofit organization. Um, and everything we do goes back to charity. So we've been able to positively affect countless different communities around the nation um, and even outside our country. So um, it's definitely great to be a part of to kind of see the return on what you're doing. Um, and it's very exciting to me to get up every day and, and know that I'm helping someone um, in, a, in our community here. You talked about your entry point into the world of golf, which came from a recognition that football was not going to be for you long term. <laughs> but you also told us a story about when you really learned a lot about yourself through your experience playing golf, specifically uh, at a tournament where the introduction of digital uh, did not go well with your psyche. Can you, can you take us through that and explain what you learned from it? Yeah. So, and, and anyone that knows me well, if they listen to this, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So um, when I was a junior in high school, I was in a golf tournament and I was, after 14 holes of the event, um, I realized I was in the lead of the tournament and I had never really been in that position in my life. And so I get on the tee box and all I was thinking to myself was, don't mess this up. Do not hit it out of bounds. Don't, don't screw this up, please. And of course I hit it out of bounds. Then I hit my next shot out of bounds, next shot out of bounds. And by the end of the hole, I had made a 17 on a par five. And At least I, it was a it wasn't a par four, right? At least exactly, it was a par yeah, five. It was a par it five. I need to throw that in there. Um, <laughs> definitely need to throw that in there. But I, I really learned a lot about myself because I realized that I need to put myself in more pressure situations where I'm uncomfortable. And I felt like that's the, the best way for me to grow because I was completely caught off guard by even being in that situation. So that was honestly a huge turning point just in my life. And I... I'll never forget it. I still talk about it to this day because that's the moment I realized I need to be more comfortable. I need to trust myself in these situations and kind of kind of let myself loose and let my you know let myself take over um, instead of trying to control things and trying not to mess up. Now you gave the uh, students at Mel University a lot of good life advice, and one of the things you told them was thrive where you are. You know, do a good job right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I definitely live with um, that my dad actually kind of instilled in me was don't worry about what could happen next. Don't worry about what your next move might be. The best way for you to get to where you need to be is to do the best job you can where you currently are. Um, So it really honestly helps me stay focused on my current role, um, not get ahead of myself ever, and just know that doing well where I am is the best opportunity for me to get to the next stage of my career. Now, the changes are coming. The Tour Championship is still going to wrap up the season Mm -hmm. here in Atlanta. But next year, the schedule changes quite drastically. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we're really excited uh, about moving the tournament to August uh, next year. So it'll be August 21st to 25th, uh, right before Labor Day. And it's big for us because the Tour Championship, we really want to make this an Atlanta event. And being the only big sporting event in the month of August next year, we can really kind of own that month. And with the whole schedule change as well, you know, we'll have a marquee event on the PGA Tour every single month of the year, culminating with the Tour Championship in Atlanta. So we're excited to kind of own that month. Um, it'll be new for us, but it'll definitely be great for us moving forward to, to really be a true Atlanta event. When you're in sales in, in your specific area, and people probably think, oh, he's selling the PGA Tour, it's probably so easy. And you, you said to the students, it's probably nine out of 10 that are no's. Mm-hmm. And then you get one out of 10 that are yeses. You got to live on those one out of 10s. How do you handle that? I mean, how, how do you find success in so much failure? Because I mean, that's a huge part of sales, and that yep. it's hard for me to, to comprehend because I, <laughs> I don't like that much failure. How do you how do you work through that? I think it honestly goes back to making sure you have a strong foundation for yourself, and, and kind of what I mentioned about having a, a good a good mindset and a good routine going into your day. Because I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, you're going to deal with a lot of failure throughout a day in sales, but 
the biggest thing is making sure that you you take it as it is. You don't overthink any specific loss, but you're just continually moving on. Um, so I think that's huge for me is is knowing that, look, this one, these last five may have been losses for me, but the next two might be huge wins. So you just always keep yourself thinking the next one, the next one, the next one. And then when it happens, it's it's so much more rewarding. Salespeople by nature, I think, are optimistic people. And, <laughs> and you told the students at Mount University to be positive always. When you come into work, you come into the office, have a positive outlook on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it, it just reflects on everyone else in the office as well. So if you come in every day and you're you're like, oh, it's so early. I don't want to be here. You know, I have a lot, lot to do today. If you think like that and if you kind of present yourself like that, it just gives off a bad vibe to the entire office. So, I mean, I, I try to make sure that every day I'm, I'm saying hi to everyone. I'm smiling at everyone. And just simple things like that make people appreciate you. Um, and it also just lifts the, the vibe of the entire office. So I think that's super important. And just maintaining your sanity sometimes because things do get stressful. Um, but just knowing that, you know, you need to be positive and kind of have a smile on your face really will get you through some of those tough times and, and tough losses. I recognize that the majority of your conversations probably include Tiger Woods. And I would <laughs> I would hate to not let this one include Tiger Woods, too. So as, as we're talking right now, the Open Championship just took place. And there was a lot of interest in it because Tiger was making a run, especially on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about his impact on the industry and still even at his age and the fact he hasn't won a major in a decade when Tiger is successful, how it just lifts the tides of everybody? Having Tiger back is huge for us. The thing that Tiger has done that a lot of people might not realize is he has literally created this next generation of great golfers we have on the PGA Tour. So the the Rory McIlroys, the Ricky Fowlers, the Jordan Spieths, they all grew up watching Tiger. And they were motivated by that. And he has changed how they play the game, how they approach it. So these guys just have a great mindset that are that are on our tour right now. Um, so what he's done for us is, you know, obviously his wins and all the great things he's done on the course have been great. But what he's done for the next generation and, and generations to come, that's been the biggest impact for us. Because now we have, you know, seven marquee names or so on the PGA Tour that we might not have without Tiger Woods. You know, one of the great things about the Tour Championship, I've always thought, is that You've got all these guys that you can celebrate. You can have the winner of the event, and he gets a million dollars or so, and then you get the FedEx Cup champ. He gets the trophy, and he gets the $10 million. So there's a lot of festivities. Occasionally, it's the same guy, but usually there's two different guys. Yeah, and we actually had that situation last year. Uh, Xander Shoffley uh, won the tour championship as a, a rookie on the PGA Tour. He actually gained status in the middle of the PGA Tour season and played so well that he ended up qualifying here. Um, Justin Thomas got a little head start on him last year, you know, five wins on tour, but that was really cool for us to see, you know, a rookie win the tour championship, but also, you know, the guy that's been there all season winning, um, also be rewarded. So the tour championship, like we, we crown our winner for our specific tournament in the FedEx cup really just rewards the person that's been there week in and week out all year, which it couldn't have worked out better last year. So we were excited about that. In terms of the, the future of the game, you just mentioned a moment ago, the next generation, the guys who maybe were inspired by Tiger that are now stars on their own right. What's the key to making those guys have a Tiger Woods effect? I mean, is Tiger an anomaly or do people in the industry feel like maybe Ricky Fowler can become Tiger? Can Spieth become Tiger in terms mm-hmm. of the interest level and the way that it, that it moves the needle. Yeah, I, th- I think we're in a really good spot because I- I'm not sure that anyone will win like Tiger ever did. But we have so many players that every week you could have, you know, one of, I mentioned seven players, it could be more like 10 or 15, 
where they're huge for us to win. Like if Ricky Fowler wins or Rory McIlroy, like we have a lot of guys in the mix every week that are really popular, really big names. So I would say, no, I don't know if anyone will ever win like Tiger, Tiger, but we're our tour in terms of the talent is, is deeper than it's ever been, which is really exciting for us. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time and sharing some insights on the golf industry and good luck as you continue to, to move up the ladder. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. For our final Melt You Roundtable, we wanted to feature a few Melt You graduates who have put their experience to good use. Tristan Watson and Ellis Baxter were interns in 2016 and 2017, respectively, and both have now become full-time employees on Melt's social and digital team. Mark and I spoke to them about how the program helped them and what advice they would have for future students. And Tristan began by explaining how the program helped set up his career path. Well, I started off as an intern um, a little bit ago, about two summers ago. And then after that, I was offered a position as the intern coordinator. So I got to kind of step into my first like professional role and lead a group of 38 students, Ellis being one of them. <laughs> then worked throughout the school year of my senior year and then um, got offered a job on our social and digital media team with Ellis. So now we're all working together and it really helped me kind of get ahead of the game and um, really understand what the world was like outside of college and really figure out what my true passions were. So that was really exciting to see. I had like a slightly different experience. I was graduated college in May and I had no idea what I was going to do. And so my mom was like, let's network, like let's pull some connections. And so she was like, reach out to Vince. And so I messaged him on LinkedIn and sent him my resume and he was like, come on down. We have this great internship program. And I was so excited that I had like plans after college. So (laughs) I came over to Atlanta and got to see what this agency is all about. And I knew I always wanted to work in sports. So being here and seeing what we do every single day for big brands and their sports properties, it's kind of a dream come true. I love what I do in the digital and social media team with Tristan. So Milk couldn't have prepared me better. I know that if this is just a stepping stone, if this is where I stay for the rest of my life, like I'm going to be well prepared and I'm going to do great things. So really excited. When we were talking to the interns at the end of the program, especially, we asked them a lot of questions about what did they learn from Melt U that school didn't teach them? Or what did they learn from this program that, that school did not prepare them for? What would you guys say is something you learned from Melt U that's been really applicable in your career that you didn't get from being in college? I would definitely say just learning how to be an element in every single place that you're in, if that makes sense. Just kind of like making sure that you're always checking your surroundings and kind of like realizing where you are and trying to see where you can help someone else, um, no matter you know if you're on that team or if you're not on that team, and just kind of putting your foot everywhere at Mount because we really do so much for so many people. So it's it's really important that you have so many different um, capabilities and things that make you strong as a person and a team member. So that's kind of what helped me. I'm kind of going off of that. It's like, I guess, kind of being like adaptable. Like you can be in the classroom all day long, but you don't really know what the real world is going to be like until you get out here. So being moldable, being teachable, like especially in your first year is something that I would tell everyone, like you are going to be thrown into situations and it's kind of like a sink or swim moment. But if you trust yourself and you lean on your teammates and you lean on like, you know, people that work here, people are always willing to teach you and help you learn and grow. So being adaptable to whatever situation is something that I did not know in college. And as soon as I got here, I was like, this is it. Like got to learn how to sink or swim. So how much did the whole melt curriculum 
prepare you guys? Because you had 60-some speakers, CMOs, people that run Major League Baseball and uh, soccer franchises and this kind of thing to really give you their words of wisdom on how to be successful, plus field trips, plus capstone projects in front of you know Coca-Cola executives. I mean, how did that whole thing come together and give you guys added confidence to do your jobs? Um, I really think it boosted my confidence because I got to know these CEOs, these major executives, these leaders in the industry on a personal level. Like Caleb Swan, for instance, when he came last year, I had seen him on Auburn's campus and I kind of knew who he was and we were like, oh, the familiar face game. And so when he, I saw him again for the Auburn career fair with you, he was like, oh, you're Ellis Baxter. And I was like, yes, I am. And like, (laughs) that is me. So it just, it makes it more personal. And like, I felt like I could call him up at any time and be like, can you give me business advice? And I feel that way with a lot of, of the professionals that came in here. That's just something that Vince instills in us. It's like, we picked you, you are great for this program. Like, be confident in yourself and like reach out to these people. They're willing to help. So that's what helped me. So it's great to be able to see that all of the people and the speakers that come to our offices are just like us and they have families and they've gone through the same process as us. So it makes, it puts a sense of comfort into, you know, the Melt U kids who are going through this really confusing time. Um, it just makes them feel better to know that these people have gone through the same issues as them, the same struggles, and they've really networked their way to their um, incredible positions and things like that. So it's really exciting. Um, for us to have so many connections, especially moving to a new city after college, it can be very stressful and daunting, I guess you would say. Um, but it's really nice to have all these brand new connections and that we can really reach out to and know that they're going to be there for us and they have our best interests at heart. So We spent a lot of time grilling the interns about who their favorite speakers were, or who was the most impactful, who left them with something. I know that the two of you are a bit removed from your time in the, the, the conference room listening to speakers. But between you, you have three summers worth of speakers. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, even now looking back, is there any one person who left you with a nugget that you, you still think about to this day? So I think it's been interesting for me because I've worked on quite a few different teams here at Melt, just going from intern, intern coordinator, and then being on, you know, the social media team finally. Um, but I would definitely say that Dina Gerson from the Coca-Cola company has always like wowed me at her job and just everything that she gets to work on. And I've actually gotten to work on a few projects with her because of my internship. Um, so getting to work with her at the Coca-Cola company and a few activations that we've done um, at Melt, just getting to work with her and getting to see her speak. And it all really came full circle. So that was a really cool experience for me. Um, and it just showed me that these connections are so valuable and that we make sure that all of these connections are great. Yeah, Dina's absolutely awesome. She's so cool and I love her job and I'm so jealous of her. Um, but I have to go back to Caleb Swan. I feel like I'm just like hyping him up so much, but he's an Auburn man, so War Eagle. But he is so personal and every time I see him or see something that he's doing, it feels like I know him personally, even though I've only probably met him like maybe six or seven times. But it still feels like there's a connection there because we have Auburn and he's just is so cool. And I love that he, you know, worked at Auburn and he now moved on to the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, I would love to work for a professional sports team like that one day. And I also love to work for an athletic department. So, like, he's kind of checking all the boxes. So I have to give him, you know, credit where it's due. Well, Tristan Ellis, thank you guys so much for joining us. And uh, good luck as you continue your careers here at Melt and Beyond. Thank Thank you so much for having us. And there you have it. It's a wrap on The Struggle is Real. We want to thank all the incredible guests who gave their time to this project and shared their stories, all of which can be heard on our previous 23 episodes. 
Regardless of whether you joined us for career tips or just because you wanted to know more about this fascinating business, we certainly hope you enjoyed this series. Be sure to follow Melt on social media at MeltATL for more information on what's happening at the award-winning agency and for updates about future podcasts. So for the last time, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for joining us for The Struggle is Real.